Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Sam Moses. I'm with my good friend, Matt Garber. And today, we would like to talk to you about bad advice and how to discern what is good advice and bad advice in the music industry and probably in life. So, Matt, are you ready to unpack it? Let's unpack it, but not dive into it. There's no more diving. We're unpacking. This year is about unpacking. Unpacking yo shit. Unpack yo shit. Here's bad advice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That could be bad advice in and of itself. Could be. Could be. I like the way this intro is going. Mine is definitely not going to beat this one. All right, Matt. Well, then let's roll with it. Are you ready? Let's roll with it. Okay, I'm going to... So, te- Sam... Oh, no. How, no, I'm going to tell no, you No, 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 no. This, this is coming to you. <laughs> okay, fine. How would you define bad advice? So, bad advice. It's a great question. Bad advice to me is basically anything that someone tells you uh, to do... Um, in life or in the music industry when in reality they have never done it themselves nor have they applied it uh, to themselves. And I find that bad advice is often based in insecurity and fear and it is very fear-driven. And I think that because I've noticed over the last... I don't know, eight years, I guess, of being in the music industry that whenever I was starting out, I would ask people, how do you do things? How do you uh, get in contact with publishers? How do you market a song? How do you get a cut? How do you mix? How do you do this? I would usually get a lot of different answers. And that doesn't mean that Hmm. there aren't multiple ways to get things done, which I feel like I'm a big believer that, you know, we talk about like there's a million ways to master a song um, and there's a million different ways to create a song. um, And that process, I think, is unique from person to person, which is how we get unique sounds and songs. But within all of that, um, I noticed that when I was asking people, say, for example, how, you know, how do I get a cut with Keith Urban? And someone would tell me, you know, well, this is how you do it, and this is how you do this, and you contact the publisher, and you got to make sure he's doing this and that. And all of a sudden, I would be thinking, well, this person doesn't have any cuts at all, Mm. and is this true or not? Is this good advice? Is this bad advice? Is this going to get me anywhere? And I started applying all this advice I was getting from people. And basically it got me nowhere because at the time I I didn't know anything. So I thought by just being in Nashville that people would be telling me good advice over and over again. And in reality, um, a lot of what people were saying was just based, it was either like a straight up lie or is based out of an insecurity of them saying um, one of my favorite phrases, which is, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. um, that to me is a huge thing of when someone asks me something now um, and I haven't done it, I will usually say, hey, I actually don't know this, but 
here's someone who actually does have a cut with Keith Urban, and you should actually talk to them. And for a lot of people, they have difficulty doing that. Um, and I used to have difficulty doing that because it makes you <clears throat> feel like maybe they'll view you as dumb or less accomplished or inferior. But um, what I found is by doing that, you actually gain more trust with this person or client or relationship when you're willing to uh, say you don't know, you know. And that's probably a podcast in itself of the wisdom of the phrase, I don't know, and bowing out of something. But for me, bad advice is very much, um, you know, it's fear-driven and it comes from a place of insecurity and it's often, um, you know, it's just, it's advice that is emotional. It's advice that is kind of... um, what I've seen online with it is it, it becomes like a sizing up competition of who's better than, you know, who's better, who's got more credits, who knows so-and-so. And it's just kind of, I've noticed like, that's just not how the guys who are actually doing it, getting cuts or who have full-time careers who are really like crushing it, in my opinion, um, <clears throat> they just don't do that. You know, they're not, they're not, um, they're not getting involved in that. And I feel like for me, when I see bad advice or hear bad advice now, I feel like I have a radar that goes off and, um, you know, I can sniff that out pretty quickly. So those are my, my thoughts on bad advice and kind of what I've observed over the last few years. So Matt, what do you think about that? Yeah, I have a pretty... Uh, wide net that I like to call my BS filter. And it's mainly come from a lot of, not bad decisions, but just, uh, I guess you could call it that, or you could euphemize it and call it uh, learning experiences. (laughs) That's how I figure it out. So if you want to learn what's bad advice and what's good advice, well, buckle up. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I can't remember what episode I said this in, but, uh, I, th- I think it was probably the, the first one where I, w- or the first episode of this season where I was, I was like, yeah, I pretty much just talk by telling stories. I'm going to be that old man. So I'm going to need to have like a fire always going when I'm old and a rocking chair and a, and a, and a poking stick so I can poke the fire. Um, because here's a story. So uh, when I used to run a cigar store, it was one of my first jobs out of college, middle of the recession. Absolutely no jobs were hiring. <laughs> I made the joke that uh, in the like the whole job and housing and all that recession, that essentially the job requirements that like even freaking McDonald's was putting out was like, Actually, it's going to sound weird since I just mentioned McDonald's or something, but essentially the job requirements were, like, we want a virgin with three years of sexual experience. And it's just, like, completely asinine and something that obviously does not exist. So uh, so I went and I ran a cigar store for a while, and you could tell that when I had opened it, that nobody, I actually had reopened it. It had closed before. You could tell that nobody really had done their research 
on the area. The area that I was running it in was incredibly touristy. It's a one of the most southern islands in South Carolina and a very massive tourist population. It goes from a winter population of locals of 33,000 uh, locals to over hundreds of thousands of people. And this turns every single week. So you have to learn how to market to a new set of uh, tourists, essentially, on a weekly basis. How do you get them to find you? And there's three other stores on the island selling the exact same brands that you are because in order to be in business, you have to do that. So how do you now set yourself apart? Um, And one of the things that was bad advice um, that they were doing from the other branch is they were – Uh, They wanted to do a digital form of marketing. What they didn't know is that the the main demographic of the people that lived there, uh, let's call it 60 years old, was young and in your prime. I'm not saying it's not Um, because when you're 60, you still got a hell of a lot of life to live. But in general, people that are 60 get their information from different places and are marketed to differently than people who are – in their 20s, 30s, etc. Um, well, 60 was the youngest part of the demographic. And it went all the way up to, like, there's a very large, like, uh, high 80-year-old, not, that sounds like I said, all the 80-year-olds <laughs> going around are high. <laughs> People in their high 80s. <laughs> Man, that'd be a great life to live, wouldn't uh-huh. it? <laughs> uh, maybe a couple things will be legal around here <laughs> by the time we're all 80. Um, people in Canada are like, yeah, that sucks for you. So, uh, anyway, um, anyway, these people, however, are marketed to differently, um, than people who are in their twenties and thirties who receive their, uh, information and whatnot through, uh, digital media and print is pretty much like not really even a thing that you really worry about because why would I go buy a paper for $1.25 when I can just go on the website? Um, And there were a lot of old and antiquated ways of doing things like uh, if you wanted to advertise an event, you did it in the paper. Well, another bad thing about owning a cigar store is that you can't advertise. It's very difficult to advertise tobacco, so you'd have to like figure out creative ways of doing that. Um, But one of the bad pieces of, of advice was to market digitally and you don't learn that until you spend a ton of resources marketing digitally and then coming up and essentially coming up dry and you're not even you're not even breaking even on the initial investment so uh no bueno batman so (laughs) that's my little personal story about bad advice that's a good story I didn't know about yeah. about uh, having difficulty advertising tobacco in print or newspaper. Oh, my goodness. Well, what was actually funny is I was trying to get away with something when I had <clears throat> I had uh, some local private school call the store and said, hey, we have a calendar that we would like to put your business in, and it would only cost $250 for your business to be advertised in our calendar. And I was like, no way. I can't be in print media and at least in certain capacities, and you're going to offer me a calendar and a school? (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, sure, whatever. So I gave them 250 bucks, and they uh, ended up calling back about two weeks later and said, yeah, we're not allowed to do this. And I was like, yeah, I thought that, but I was, <laughs> why not just try? So, but yeah, I had to get pretty creative in terms of, in terms of marketing that place. And <clears throat> uh, you want to talk about bad advice. That whole place is full of people from all around the world, mainly uh, cooler climates, Canada, uh, Ohio, New York, like all these people who are migrating down uh, and retiring down there. And they're all telling you things that used to be incredibly popular in their day that does not resonate at all with one, a southern community or let's call it a transplant southern community and like anything with that remote demographic. And it's like you'd see something go up one time and if you didn't make it through a summer, at least somewhat profitable, you were not going to make it through the winter because you then needed to rely on the local population. So you kind of needed to give like a local discount. And so it was... It's like if you if you didn't make it through, you would just see like tons of turnover and turnover and turnover. So tons of bad advice from people who saw great things and it's like, yeah, but that worked in the 80s. Right. This is 2012. So Yeah, I think that's I mean, I think that's super important to you know, part of bad advice is always running it by or putting it in its context, you know. And I think that is something I experience a lot in town here in Nashville is when I was f- first starting out here, I talked to a lot of guys who had been here forever and a lot of their advice was good for 15 years ago, but the industry has changed so much to where like their advice now just doesn't, it literally doesn't work. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like back in the day, when studios were busy all the time, people would just run into each other. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So you have to network in a different way. Or all the labels, you know. I don't know. It was just a different industry in a different city, especially with Nashville. It was far less saturated 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody kind of knew each other by default because it was a small town. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. there wasn't, you know the saturation of home studios that didn't really exist 15 years ago. And there was one place you made music and that was on, wouldn't you know it, Music Row, the street where all the studios were. <laughs> and then Music Row is now apartments and salons and there's not really, there's maybe a couple studios left on Music Row, but they all moved to Berry Hill area mm-hmm. um, where all the main studios are at now. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but yeah, the, I think that's a big thing for like people that are listening. If you part of discerning good advice and bad advice is is knowing, you know, this may have been good advice twenty years ago, like you're kind of saying or something, but now it's obsolete. It doesn't work. So I think always, you know, for me when I'm hearing things now from people, when people tell me things, I'm always running it through a filter of was this good advice 10 years ago or can I actually use this now? Is there any truth or wisdom within this still or is this obsolete? Which doesn't make that person less credible or less, um, you know, accomplished. But there's definitely, 
I feel like what I see online is there's a lot of guys that chime in who are like, I've been doing this for 30 years and this is how you do it. And Mm -hmm. in reality, um, maybe that's how you used to do it and maybe that's even how they're still able to do it. But I think you have to have this wisdom or discernment or BS filter. I don't even know if I want to call that BS filter because what they're saying may be partially true and and may kind of work for them. But you have to be able to really filter it into your context. Like if you're just starting out in the music industry, you don't necessarily need to go, you know, invest into a ginormous studio to start. You can start in your bedroom or in a small space. Whereas a long time ago, like you pretty much had to record in a big studio. That was like your only option because that's where you had to use a console. And a console was huge. <laughs> like a console won't fit in your bedroom. So you literally had to be in a space that at least had that size. And then, you know, you had to have a room to track in where now we have digital and we have better, I don't know if we have better tracking techniques, but we've learned a lot on how to record, you know, in less than ideal spots or non-studio spots. So I think that's an important thing, you know, within all this is to stick to, to always run the advice through like the context filter. Maybe I'll call it that the context filter of does this still fit into my current situation? Um, But yeah, that's a good point, Matt. I like that. Yeah, I mean, just because, though, um, something might be antiquated, however, doesn't mean that it is wrong. Yeah, that's very important. And I I, want to make sure that that's communicated. It's like, oh, no, old people suck. Right, that's not what we're saying. saying. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's because there are some older techniques that it's like, like, I I was just kind of thinking, I was like, man, probably should have sent like some christmas cards or something this year to like clients or something like that and it's kind of like an old timey thing right and i thought of that when i had an older guy who sells my other business insurance come in and just give us a christmas card but it's just him following up on a lead and it's like man should have done that so (laughs) whatever yeah maybe there's always next year that's right always next year that's a good disclaimer though we're not saying old people are uh you know, inadequate or not. They don't have good advice. Because most of the best, I guess I, I want to say this, a lot of the best advice I ever get or maybe all my best advice has come from older wise people who have been in the mm-hmm. industry. But they're able, oh, yeah. to, but I think for them, to me the wise people are are wise because they're able to give me advice that kind of, um, it jumps the gap to where, what they're telling me is applicable now as it was a hundred years ago or 15 years ago, maybe not a hundred. Mm-hmm. And it probably will be, you know, a hundred years from now. It's more, you know, life philosophy, business philosophy. How do you deal with people? Which is kind of the music industry as a whole is, is dealing with people and troubleshooting and being a, you know, I mean, a psychiatrist. I mean, it's, it's one of the the best things about sound is that so long as people have been around, sound in and of itself, in and of its form, hasn't changed, and it, it by the means by which it works, it cannot physically change. Um, so it like it's always going to sound relatively the same. Um, I mean, I guess you can get into an argument with that, but 
whatever. I mean, lightning's always going to, or thunder's always going to sound like thunder. And like, someone like cracking a stick in the woods, it's like, it's always going to sound the same. And everyone's stepping on leaves or something like that. It all has like a specific sound. So, but like whenever you get into like music production and something like that, someone can tell you a old time way of how they used to bring the vocals for it in a mix that you never knew about. And now you can apply that technique to it. And that it's because you're in an industry that uh, absolutely adores that of which is antiquated. I mean, look at everything that's going on and. Like, just about every... Like, there are not a lot of companies making gear that's not a clone of something. And it's like, everyone is still pretty hot and heavy, no pun intended, about tubes. Um, so, it's like, you're using all this all this older technology because you're finding out that the little artifacts that all the scientists and engineers all the way back in the day were trying to get rid of and once we got, like, so digital, you're like, wait a second, it's too clean. Right. What if we saturate it a little bit? Or yeah. What if we do this or that? We run it through this old type of wiring and these old types of transformers or something like that. So it's like we are in an industry that absolutely adores the antiquated. Um, and even though it might be that, it's still worth resurrecting. However, in terms of bad advice, <clears throat> what I believe... Uh, we're trying to say the people you should look out for are the people who typically say, who have no business at all in saying this, you know, you should do this. Like, you should, you know, I've, this EQ would be great for a mastering engineer. And it's like something with like swept pots and like the first, like Mark is at like, I don't know, 5 dB or something like that. And it's like, eh, probably, probably wouldn't be. Um, but it's like, and they have never used it and they don't do anything in audio and, but it's like, they're like, you know, you should do this. You should do this. And like, you just have those people in your life and it's just let them talk and then don't do that. (laughs) So, and I think you already said this, Sam, but, um, the whole bad advice, it comes from people who also have like absolutely no skin in the game. Like, given that their advice is wrong. So, it's like, you normally want some advice that is tried and true, if you will. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's, that's kind of like a big one to me is bad advice often comes from people who have no skin in the game. Um, And that's what I think I witnessed so much online and I talk about online a lot because everything, so much networking, everything is moving online to me. And things are do, done so digitally now. Um, and a lot of people are getting their their feet wet in the music industry via online classes or courses or forums. And there's, you know, the pros to me is like, man, there's there's it's such a good way to get a lot of opinions, you know, on how to do things. And it really, I enjoy... You know, you post one thing, how do I get vocals? You know, you want to use the example, how do I get vocals up front on a forum? And you'll get a hundred responses on how people are actually doing it, you know? And then I, you know, the filter would be like to go listen to their work and see if they can even do it to begin with, you know, Mm -hmm. make sure they know how to do that. Um, 
which is kind of a check and balance thing, which to me is a tip on how do you discern bad advice. Mm -hmm. But I find that to be fascinating because I almost always learn something or I'll try something and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know, you know, you could do it that way. Well, that's cool because that does that kind of thing. But one of the cons, the big cons I see over and over again is, is the loudest voice in the room people who are just on forums making these huge universal blanket statements about this is how you do it. it. You know, you guys don't know how to do it. I know how to do it. And a lot of the times it does, like if I click on them or, you know, try to find them on the internet or like their credits or whatever they worked on, you know, I don't find anything. And I'm like, you're actually not doing anything. But this mm-hmm. makes you feel like you're doing something because you get to be really loud on the internet. So it's giving the feeling of accomplishment and the feeling of you're, you know something because you're able to just freely be loud on the internet <laughs> when in reality... Well, what's the whole... There's like a country song of uh, I'm so much cooler online. Oh, I don't know that song. You never heard that song? That I was don't... like a massive single. Oh, I don't, I don't think I know it. Yeah, talk about how much cooler he is because of his MySpace page and how he's like 50 pounds lighter. <laughs> oh my he's gosh. Not, yeah, he's not the nerd that he is. It's just like, it it, it doesn't, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like th- this does not get you anywhere. This like semi-witty, the semi-witty banter. Right. Like, doesn't doesn't matter at all. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's the, that's the premise of the internet though, is that the loudest idiot wins. Right. Yeah. That's what it's become. There's a lot of loud idiots out there. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's to me is, you know, my concern and why I think this topic is va- is like valuable and why I wanted to do an episode on it is because I see so many new people who are just hungry to learn and try things that they will listen to the loudest voice in the room and then you know, they'll apply this idea or this approach, and it actually is a terrible approach, and it's a terrible way to do something, but they don't really know the difference because they they don't have the experience yet to discern, well, that actually won't work, or, you know, I know someone who actually has done this and you haven't, so I know that's crap. Um, but yeah, I just watch, I watch so many people apply this bad advice, bad wisdom, or maybe it's not even wisdom, just you know, it's bad advice and it doesn't, it frustrates them. You know, they come back and they're like, well, this didn't work or this, I tried this and that didn't work. And this person said, this is, this is how you do it. You know, if you want to get your song in front of a label, this is how you have to pitch it. And then you look at that person and you're like, you haven't had any cuts. Like, (laughs) how can you make such a blanket statement that this is how you do it when you've never done it? And Mm. I think that's, that to me is like, especially in Nashville, when I was co-writing more, when I first got here, I'd be in rooms with people where they would say, oh, this is how you write a hit song, or that's not a hit song, or that's not a strong line. And and I'm thinking, you don't have any cuts either. Like, we're both on hmm. the same spot. Like, <laughs> we're both here trying to write a hit song. <clears throat> and if you're going to tell me what how you write a hit song, you better have a hit song. Like, mm-hmm. you better have the cut with Keith Urban or something before you tell me what Keith Urban likes or will like. Um, and I think that's that to me is just what I've noticed 
in the industry here in town specifically is there are just a lot of people who will tell you how it's done because they've heard snippets from so-and-so or they've read a blog once or they watched a YouTube video or they, you know, they had drinks one night with someone who was successful and they said, this is how, you know, I did it and this person's kind of regurgitating it and and it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it just doesn't work. Like bad advice is, it's toxic. Like, if you collect a ton of bad advice, then I think that does something to you. And that's what I feel like for me, for the first couple of years I was here, I just was given such bad advice um, from a lot of people who weren't doing anything. And it really set me back and discouraged me because I felt like I was chasing my tail. Um, And in reality, to me, like, you know, this is something we can, we've touched on before, but like, the best advice I can give someone in the music industry is like, it's just going to take time and you have to actually work and show up every day. (laughs) Like there's no, Mm -hmm. there's no shortcuts and anybody, that's another thing with like bad advice to me. Like how do you discern bad advice from good advice? Anything that seems too good to be true in the music industry or is like a shortcut or if someone's like, here's a, a music industry hack or like a life hack on how to, do this it's probably wrong like it probably isn't mm-hmm. correct um because there's just nothing that really happens that fast in the industry big picture you know if you've got a hit song that song is going to be a hit song one year from now or two years from now and that doesn't mean you you know you shouldn't be like urgent with what you're doing per se if, if you've got a hit song and you know someone's um looking to cut a song, it would be smart to get that song to the publisher or the, the, you know, the artist, if they're looking for songs, that just makes sense. But in a, in a big, you know, hundred foot view or a thousand foot view, um, anything that seems too good to be true in the music industry is (laughs) in my experience. I've never, I've never been able to, uh, life hack or, um, yeah, life hack the music industry, really. The best thing I've done and the and the reason I've moved so quickly when people ask me like, how do you do what you do or how do you how do you have so many clients? And I'm not trying to say this at all to be like ego or or prideful with it, but my answer to them is always the same. I feel like it's, you know, I work. Like I show up every day and I work and I work and I work and I try to meet people I'm a good fit for and that's the best advice I can give you, you know, is like if you're not working and not trying to get clients that you're a great fit for, then you're not going to have a career. Um, and it's kind of that simple. And that's kind of what I like. I mean, I filter everything through is kind of like, is this, does this sound like it has longevity? Does this seem like it will stand the test of time? Or is this kind of a gimmick, emotional tangent someone's just spewing out in hopes of getting attention, you mm-hmm. know, and some quick, maybe some quick financial gain or social media gain. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's all I have to say for that on that for now. So what happens though when, because you said that you've taken a bunch of bad advice for a long time. Yes. Excuse me. And, uh, 
So what happens when you do that? And it's funny, like, well, normally for these podcasts, just like we don't have like a script or anything. And I know like some podcasts are scripted and uh, I'll just have kind of like an agenda just to kind of keep us on time. And it's like kind of noted people kind of don't really listen to the ones that are over an hour (laughs) for an hour. So we do have like a little thing just to kind of keep us on track and be like, okay, well, this should be our next point because this makes sense. Well, this whole thing, I put like bad advice is capitalized and it's in quotations <laughs> everywhere so i was just like this sounds like we're this sounds like how to avoid it how what happens when you take too much bad advice <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, for some reason i have a note next to this it's maba mothers against bad advice <laughs> if there was a was there was a drug corporation was. <laughs> you were wondering about that yeah i kept reading like maba, maba. or maba so i was like <laughs> I'm ask uh, I was like, this. I don't know why I put it there. It was just <laughs> on autopilot. It's great. Mothers against bad advice. Mothers against bad advice. Personal stories about bad advice. <laughs> uh, you know, bad advice comes from people who have no skin in the game, Sam. That's right. It's true. So you're saying I took bad advice, which is what I did. Say. What happens when you take too much bad advice? Well, when you take too much bad advice, you may notice symptoms of <laughs> going crazy because you feel like you're chasing your tail. <laughs> I mean, that to me, I touched on a little bit, but I mean, when I took bad advice, so like I would go out. When I first got to town, I would go out, I would go to bars, I would try to meet people, or I already knew some people, and I'm trying to figure out hey, I do this and I need to find artists who need that or producers who need, you know, mastering or mixers who need mastering. And I don't know. I just, I feel like every time I'd go out, people, when people drink, they usually get confident. Um, And this is part of Nashville or the music industry's one of its big problems is is alcohol, I'll say. And this is a a side tangent. But the amount of bad advice that comes from, you know, people going out and and having a good time, having, you know, drinks and people get buzzed or drunk and then all of a sudden everybody's successful and everybody's name dropping and and I would find myself, you know, I would try to not get drunk. Um, because I wanted to function the next day and I wanted to, I was taking what I was doing seriously most of the time. So I thought, well, this is how you network. So I'd talk to an artist or a, a mixer and, or, you know, a, another master engineer and try to figure out how do you do this? How do you, how do you make this work? And then, you know, all of a sudden they'd be saying, this is how you do it. And, or I'd, I'd talk to an artist who'd be like, yeah, you can master my album. And, and then the next day I would talk to them and they wouldn't remember it because they were drunk. <laughs> and so, you know, or I, I would be the gullible one and go home and be like, all right, I got to get on Instagram and I'm going to find this hashtag and I'm going to message this person and that person and this and this and this and try that over and over again. And it just wouldn't work. And, uh, or I, you know, I'd approach publishers a certain way because someone told me one time, this is how publishers react or this is how an A&R really responds. Um, and I try that out, you know, for a few months and get nothing. And I think that was kind of it. Like, and this would be like, I would have meetings with people that worked at labels 
you know, when I was trying to do the publishing thing, when I first got to town, I thought I would do some songwriting, um, mainly because there's a ton of money in it still. Um, and I thought, well, that'd be cool. But I legitimately had meetings with, you know, Capital and Warner and different publishing companies in town. And I would get advice from people that are on staff that literally it just didn't work. Like that was, they gave me bad advice within their own label on how to do things. And, um, you know, I think, I think back then and how a lot of people are still is, you know, I was, I was, um, I was naive and blinded by the label name, you know, like having a meeting at a label sounds really cool and important when you live in a small town and all you dream about is doing like label work. But in Nashville, it's, you know, there's a label everywhere and there's an indie label everywhere. <laughs> so it kind of... It's kind of ironic, the whole like name indie label. I know. They're all owned by the parent companies anyway. So <laughs> it's kind of, you know, funny. I mean, it's like the same with the beer industry. It's like you have like... Goosehead or whatever it is, that's like Goose Island. Yeah, they're owned by. Yeah, yeah, but it's like owned by Anheuser Busch. Yeah, I got bought but out. So it's like you think you're kind of being cool and trendy right. by taking that to a party, but it's like, nope, just going back to Budweiser. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, um, well, it's you know, it's it's like Capitol Records owns the the CMG branch, which is the Christian music branch. So I remember the first time I was at Capitol. Um, for a, a CCM project, um, you know, the same guy who was doing Rick Ross's T-shirt design was doing a CCM artist I was working on T-shirt design, <laughs> you know, next. So it's like you have Rick Ross with, uh, you know, smoking a doobie or something. A doobie. <laughs> I sound so old. <laughs> smoking a joint. Mothers against bad advice. Yeah. It's like Rick Ross smoking a blunt in a photo, and then the next one is, you know, this this artist in a church leading worship. <laughs> And it's like, yeah. oh, this is how the industry works. The parent company owns both. Um, and, you know, but that's just how it is. And that's fine. But that's, you know, there's just so much stuff you don't know. And, um, you know, for me, when I was in town, I, I was just like a sponge because I just thought, well, everybody must know better than me. And this is like a, a big point, I think, is you have to learn how to trust yourself within this advice, you know, whole topic is I had to learn to trust myself. I had to also trial and error, test things out and not hold them too tightly. And I had to really learn, you know, the hard way that once again, if I'm going to do this, I need to kind of find my own lane. I need to carve that out and I have to put in the work of, of, um, you know, of creating my own business and not being dependent on anyone else. And that's kind of a big thing I learned from, I'll say, the first two years of being here, of getting a lot of bad advice was um, I was so dependent on other people being successful, but in reality, what I needed to do is focus on, um, you know, creating my own success for myself. And by success, I mean just basically having work, you know. A lot of people think if the, if I could just meet with so-and-so, then they could find me work. Or This is something I, I kind of botched early on. This You don't talk about bad advice. I was told early on I needed a manager, um, you know, to manage me, and this manager would be able to make my life easier. And, and if I got management, then it would make me look more marketable. Um, 
you know, to labels and things like that. And so I signed a, a management deal. I think it was my second year as here. And um, to be honest, it was the worst experience I've ever had. You know, it mm. made my life more complicated. <clears throat> I was paying a percentage that, you know, we were taking hits on projects from negotiations that weren't going well. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the management didn't really understand what I was doing as a mastering engineer. And it ended up, you know, I felt like I was losing clients and losing potential clients because mastering wasn't being presented correctly, um, mm-hmm. which was the case. And after about, oh, I don't know, eight months, I had to end it um, because I had lost two projects in a row from clients I've had before. But you know, my, and this isn't to say there's a lot of great managers out there, but what I learned quickly was I thought if I got a manager <coughs> that I would just have an abundance of work and that like all my worries about having work and having money would be taken care of by someone else. When in reality, I think, you know, if I ever had a manager again, which I don't know if I will, because I'm not sure if I need that at any stage, um, I haven't a, I have my wife as an assistant now, which is helpful, which I think is maybe what what people need is actually just kind of a day-to-day assistant as opposed to a manager if you're doing uh, engineering work. But Yeah, I was going to ask my wife to help me out with some stuff. And I had a month that I was just insanely swamped and I was just in here every day. And I was like, dear, do you mind like helping me out? Because right. I, feel like, I feel like I'm slipping in like areas that I – like are really the most important, like billing. Yeah. It's like, I don't really know if in this month I forgot to bill. I think like in the back of my head, I'm like, there's that one guy who got away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I mean, I I learned very quickly, um, you know, having a manager doesn't mean you're, you have instant success or, you know, you have a guaranteed, guaranteed work. And, um, you know, that's what I think a lot of people, they become dependent on other people to create their success. I mean, that's like artists who hire PR agency PR agencies who think, well, if I pay this PR <laughs> company $5,000, they can get me on Billboard and, you know, an interview with this blog and this blog, and then my career will be made because it exposes me to 1 million people. And it's like, Yes, that may be a good step for you, but that doesn't equal a career. You know, that's like step one of a thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got the exposure, so then what? What are you doing? Or do you have shows? Do you have follow-up songs? Do you have follow-up blogs? Are you going to leverage that? And I think that, you know, that's what I'm saying within this is, is I had to learn quickly to trust myself after two years of feeling like, man, everything I'm kind of applying, you know, isn't working. And the other part within all that is I would, I'd keep going out and I'd, you know, the same people who were giving me this advice that I thought they were successful, you know, two years later, they were still the ones without the cuts, without the pub deal, without this. And, you know, they were always telling the story of, oh yeah, I'm, I, it's about to get cut. The song's on hold. It's doing this or that, or, oh yeah, I'm, I'm about to, you know, open a studio or it was just all that, like, nonsense talk and after a couple of years I was just like you know what if I want to spend the rest of my life drinking PBR bullshitting 
this is the route I'll go. <laughs> I know who to call. I know who to call. That was literally <laughs> it. It was like a revelation of, you know, it, would, it really wasn't that profound. It was two years of failing miserably or feeling like I was. I mean, I was working, but I just felt like, man, if this is how you have to do this, this is way harder than I thought it'd be, and this seems like a really weird way to go about it of, like, mm-hmm. peacocking everyone and getting hammered every other night. Um, so, yeah, I think you got to learn how to trust yourself, you know, and then also learn that the best advice you know, that I feel like I've been given from the guys who are actually doing it is like, you got to, you got to figure out what you want to do and you got to work really hard and, you know, show up every day and take advice from people that have actually done it, you know, and are still not just done it, but still doing it. That's, I think the big thing with the older guys in town who are still, I'll say relevant, I guess, you know, they figured out a way to make their wisdom and, and good advice translate, you know, for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And those mm-hmm. are the people I really, I love trying to get in their <clears throat> brains and anytime I can interact with them, you know, where it's an appropriate time to ask them, you know, how did you do this or how did you do that or do you like this or did you like when you did that? You know, there's just a wealth of knowledge that they can share. So... To me, when you take too much bad advice, you you will often feel like you're kind of going crazy. You'll often feel like you're stuck. Um, you know, for me, I there's a few pieces of bad advice that stick with me um, that are kind of interesting that pop up from time to time. And I'm not sure where it came from other than maybe I was in a situation at the time where the person who gave me the advice I really wanted to impress or make them think I was cool. And so they gave me this piece of advice or said, this is how you do it, you know. And sometimes that pops up. And I and I think that's like a, it's probably a psychological thing, Matt. Maybe you could speak in on that. <laughs> where it's like <clears throat> a random thing that will pop up in my head where I'm like, ah, that's, no, that's actually, that's not good. <laughs> that's still not good. <laughs> But I mean, and like when it comes to like impressing people, yeah, I'm not saying that like I don't really like give a crap about what people think about me, but there's there's a point in my life that kind of sticks out, and it was right before it was when I was getting my pilot's license. Um, a major milestone is when you do something called solo. It's the first time that you fly without an instructor, and it's actually very bizarre because. You think you understand this airplane, how it feels and how it sounds? Well, when you don't have an extra, like, 150 to 200 pounds sitting next to you, the plane goes a lot faster, operates a lot better, (laughs) and you're like, oh, man, I don't really understand this at all. Well, before you do that, at least at the school that I was at, the owner of the flight school uh, would go on a flight, uh, like, a couple, like, laps around the the airport, and uh, we'd go over the ocean, just make sure that, like, uh, just kind of like going over emergency procedures and stuff like that. And, of course, there's an emergency procedure. What happens if you lose your engine? And anytime through flight training, a flight instructor can just pull your engine. And by pulling it, I mean just like you, you, you take the throttle and you just pull it all the way back to zero. It's like letting your foot off the gas pedal. Um, well, this is a knob. <clears throat> and uh, you're supposed to do a, a certain couple things first 
before you even tell anybody that you've lost your engine. And the main rule when you lose your engine is, um, like, screw the radio, screw everything else. It is, like, always fly the plane. Hmm. And... I didn't do this this one time, and and this guy is like an an ex Air Force pilot with like fifteen thousand hours, uh, in in of pilot and command time. It's called PIC time, and uh, the first thing that you do is you take any extra airspeed, and like everything's exchangeable. And once again, I'm the old man in front of the fire with like poking it, <laughs> and it's like Sam's gone off to go get like a, a water. <laughs> He's not even here. That's just like a laugh track we have on the background. Um, oh, it's me. Yeah. So essentially, you ex- you can exchange uh, airspeed for altitude. It's kind of like going down a hill or going up a hill. If you let off the gas and you're going up a hill, your speed's going to go down. Well, there's a specific like glide ratio that you should achieve and it happens at a specific speed and a certain descent rate that that aircraft aircraft operates best at. So I didn't do that within the first five seconds of him pulling my engine and I'm sure it wasn't even that much. And he just pulls the, I'll call it the stick for the sake of argument, it's actually called a yoke. He pulled the stick all the way pretty much back to his chest to essentially bleed off all the airspeed while gaining altitude um, essentially to achieve or reach a certain airspeed for the best glide. So now, you've, you in a very quick amount of time, you are now at a higher altitude, give, buying you more time, altitude meaning time, and absolutely scaring the living crap out of me. And it's like, <laughs> it's a couple Gs. You're being pulled into your seat. And I don't know, maybe two and a half Gs, you're being pushed into your seat and like not expecting it. Your engine just, it's like, first of all, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> And your engine cuts out. And you're like, what's going on? And so I look over to Bill, and there's just like this terrified look on my face. And he's like, what's the first thing you do? And I told him, and he's like, why didn't you do it? And I was like, I I just wasn't expecting it. And like I landed like, and I was like shaking and stuff like that. And he's like, why are you shaking? And I said, bro, you have 15,000 hours. I have 11. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a substantially less amount of time doing this than you do. And you're intimidating. And at that moment, moment was kind of like a pivotal time in my life to when he said, never let anybody intimidate you. Mm. They're just another person, even mm-hmm. if they know just a little bit more than you do. It doesn't mean you can't learn that. Mm-hmm. And it, like for some reason, at that point, I was very susceptible to any advice that he would be giving me. <laughs> like, so, um, yeah, and then he's like, okay, let's go do this right, and let's go do this again, and we did that, and that was, that was all good, and he approved me to go do that uh, solo. Um, but I always took that advice of uh, never never let anybody intimidate you because of who they are or what they've achieved or something. And I later learned in life that, and you can apply this to your own life, nobody, and, and when you learn it, it's It's groundbreaking. Nobody really knows what's going on. <laughs> like, no one, like, and there is to a degree. And people can be having, keep, people can have done a field or been in a field for so long that they are confident in what they do. But, I mean, in another area of life, they're probably a complete idiot. And <laughs> That's it's true. like nobody completely 100% knows what they're doing. And... I think we did an episode on this that it's okay to be like, I don't know what I'm doing, and like someone help out or 
And it's like, it's okay to say that you don't know what you're doing because I guarantee you that no one else knows what they're doing. No one else has it together. So it's like, I mean, that's the whole premise for this episode, essentially, is that bad advice is uh, overly abundant and (laughs) readily given. Yeah. So in terms of, like, how do you thwart that bad advice and even perhaps seek your own conclusions, it's the only way that I know how, and especially with how crazy, like, news cycles are these days, it's like, how do I actually find out what the hell's going on? And it's literally, if you want to talk about the news, read everything. Yeah. And then just kind of make your own assumption from it. Because nobody is, and at least in that realm, is going to be telling you the truth. If you're in a room full of drunk people give it, that are giving you advice, you should consider your situation and consider what they have to gain by them giving you advice, which the only thing would be is now you looking up to them for giving you advice. Mm-hmm. And they're now a key-ish player now in your life, to which they shouldn't be because they're shit-faced and giving you advice. So when you have to go to a party or to a bar or anything else to ever interact with these people and they won't give you the time of day, I think the best thing I've ever heard about somebody just trying to get some advice, and I think, it's, I think it came from a blog of yours, Sam, is um, about not wasting people's time is I, – I might be butchering that, but it's <laughs> uh, when somebody – you said that somebody wanted to ask for – like ask some advice from a mastering engineer or a mix engineer or something like that. So, but he didn't tell that person that he just uh, <clears throat> he just essentially paid him for two hours yeah. of his time. Yeah, and and I was just reading this and, and the conversation, the dialogue that I believe you said only lasted thirty minutes or an right. hour. Yeah, and then the guy's like, "Well, you still got like an hour with me," and the guy's like, "No, no, no, you can just take that and just chill." Right, you're yep. a busy dude. Yep. And it's like he's like physically giving back to the guy something that like he had to pay for that guy to talk to him for two hours. It only needed an hour. And he's like, no, keep the extra hour. He's like, just like hang out right. and rest. Yep. Because that's like you probably don't get a lot of that. No. And it probably meant so much to him. Yeah. And it's like insanely unique. So I know. It's like, it, like how do you like thwart bad advice? I say get as much advice as you can. And then overanalyze the crap out of like the situation that you were in when you received it. Did that did the situation essentially give that person power over you by them giving it to you? Yeah. Um, and it's like I don't know. It's like did that person have anything to gain by giving that advice to you? Yeah. Were they pissed off? Like what 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 type of like I don't know. Just just think about it. And do they have skin in the game? Yeah. It's like, is it like, like, is there a chance that this could be wrong? If it is wrong, go online and there's probably somebody else online already complaining about like <laughs> them already getting that type of advice That's and being true. like, nope, that doesn't work. Yeah. It's kind of like I, 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 I kind of do feel bad for the Sonar Works episode, but I kind of don't. <laughs> um, I mean, in general. All these people online who are like, oh, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome. They're probably just wanting Sonarworks to take their thing and repost it onto their thing. Mm-hmm. And all these, and like, no one's looking at like who this is. And it's like the only thing I'm looking at is, man, that's a really crazy setup you got going on. <laughs> I like, 
Like in some cases, just like I guess different is better. Um, <laughs> that's really mean. But it's like in, I mean, people being like, "Oh, this is great. This is great. This is great." It's like that's bad advice, mm-hmm. at least to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's like I'm glad I could share that because I don't want someone else going through that. Like, don't waste your time and money. Yeah. But I did like the headphone thing. I will say that. <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's. Take as much advice as you can and just decide who you trust the most. I mean, at some point, you're going to be wrong and it's going to suck. Right. Welcome to life. Yep. Like 1.0. So it's going to happen. I mean, and if it doesn't, then you need to make a decision. Going back to the cigar store, they never, the people who are in charge of the larger amounts of money never said, yes, go ahead for. Uh, this type of media that would work. Never go ahead and do X, Y, and Z. Um, even though I was living two hours away from where a different type of marketing worked, and they refused to do that. And I was like, well, if you're refusing to do this, then I don't really know what we're all doing here. It's kind of like the weird relationship. Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking of this. It's kind of like the whole John Mayer song, like slow dancing in a burning room. Mm-hmm. Type thing. It's like you're you're doing this. You're paying me payroll. You're paying two other guys or one other guy, whoever it was, on payroll. You're paying for inventory. You're paying for rent. You're paying for utilities, and all the other junk. To include like tobacco taxes, hospitality taxes, alcohol taxes, licenses. It's like really, and you're not willing to like put in some cash to see if you can like make this a decent thing. So at some point, you just have to look at the cards in front of you and be like, if if it's just not working out, you just have to like come to yourself and be like, yeah, this isn't working out. Mm-hmm. So it's too many, ba- it's too much bad advice, and the people who are in charge aren't willing to do so, aren't willing to change it. So we need to make a decision, and whether it's getting out of the situation that you're in, uh, if you're working at a big studio and going on your own. Or maybe it's working on your own and being like, I got a friend who's kind of offered me like a situation. Maybe I should. And I don't want to do it because it's like, what if I make it here or something like that? Or I don't know. Or maybe it's like you're in like a band and it's like a toxic relationship. And it's like you could be in something that's healthier or you could take some time off or do whatever. But it's like you're staying in something just because it's kind of comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the ultimate form of laziness is staying somewhere because it's comfortable. I mean, right. Making yourself uncomfortable is, I mean, that, that's, that's part of life. And there's no sense in just remaining comfort, remaining comfortable if that's, like, all you're going to get out of it. And there's no reciprocation in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have to make yourself uncomfortable and live like I, there's, there's there's a quote that I think is kind of bullshit, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, sometimes you have to or it's like an entrepreneur thing. Like back, like when it was like cool to be like I'm an entrepreneur, and like everyone's putting that on your Instagram bio. Still cool. But it's like yeah, it's like uh, live like no one else, so you can live like no one else. I think I actually think it's a Dave Ramsey quote. It is. Um, it's, uh, give give, isn't it? Give like no one else, so you can live like no one else. What is it? No, I I, th- I think it's live. I think it's live like no one else. I kind of like live like shit and get a beater car uh. and sell the Escalade, so that and like do the whole snowball effect thing, and so you can pay off all your all your student debt and all the other 
credit card debt you have so you can then live like no one else. And then it's like live and give like no one else is what he says. Yeah. Um, it's like to a degree, I, I, I actually do buy into the Dave Ramsey thing, but in terms of like the entrepreneur thing, it's like I'm not really – it's like do you want to like live like shit for a couple years so you can live better? The rest of your life? I don't know. But I mean, that's given that you make a lot of money. I know entrepreneurs who are pretty old and still working. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe them being an entrepreneur was a bad advice. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, Sam, interesting question. Is this podcast full of bad advice? That'll be a lot twist. That'll uh, it'll be up to our uh, audience to discern it based on what we've told them. <laughs> I'm avoiding the question. Um, you're avoiding the question? No. I, man, I don't, I don't think, I don't think this podcast is bad advice because it's honest, you know? And I think for anyone that wants to, uh, you know, credit check us, you can find Matt and I on the internet and see that we've both been mastering. I mean, I've been mastering a lot longer than you have, Matt, but... Mm-hmm. I will say Matt's doing excellent work and that people love his work and he's definitely an up and comer or you're, I think you're, I don't know. I always feel like you're already there, but you probably don't think you are. But, um, I even think when you're there that you don't think you're there. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it's moving target. Um, an illusion, but I don't think this podcast is bad advice because it's not rooted in insecurity or fear. And we're not trying... For me, this podcast is not about trying to make people do anything, you know. Um, we don't make any money off this podcast, and it really doesn't matter if you apply anything we do, we say or not, you know. <laughs> like, um, to me, this is one of the things I kind of like about podcasts overall, is I feel like since they are free most of the time, and there's nothing wrong with paying for content. There's a few podcasts I support um, that I have no problem giving money to. But overall, you know, we're not making any money off this. We're doing this strictly because, I mean, for me, I like to create, and I think Matt and I also like talking to each other. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a selfishness within there. But But I mean, that was the reason why the podcast was created. Absolutely. You and I would have pretty solid discussion, and we're like, this needs to not be kept between you and me. Right, yeah. And I think that, you know, the whole goal of the podcast, and we talked about it in uh, the first episode of this season, so just a couple back, uh, when I tried to recap why we even did this, is to help people, you know, and... And we have, you know, I've encountered a lot of bad advice and, you know, Matt's in his, you're in your journey, Matt. And I think I was able to hopefully give you some good advice when, you know, we're doing the mentoring thing. And the podcast kind of birthed out of that. Yeah, I think the best thing about the mentoring thing and... um. I think what I got most out of it was really just kind of like community with another mastering engineer. Yeah. yeah. Is that like someone just to be like, hey, am I full of crap or should I like right. go after this or how do I go with this project? I had a really weird label project and I didn't I didn't really know how to navigate it. And it was kind of like, it was kind of bizarre and Sam helped me 
just like with some of the semantics. And I mean, I've said this in prior episodes. I mean, Sam and I's Sam and mine stuff like sounds pretty much completely different. Yes. Um, Sam does, and we're we're there's an episode in this, and <laughs> as soon as I say this, people are gonna be like, "When's the episode coming out?" Uh, but this is like, I don't know maybe like 10 months from now. <laughs> but Sam and I this year, we're taking old, old mixes and we're both mastering them and of stuff that we have done and we're going to just kind of like look at like what our differences are and how we master. And what we're finding out already <clears throat> is that Sam, he's like, I know where this needs to go and I'm going there. And he's like, I know this is supposed to be massive here and this is where it is going to be massive because I'm going to make it massive and it's going to sound beautiful and awesome <laughs> and epic because I'm Sam fucking Moses and oh it's gosh. going to sound awesome. And that's how Sam... A little, a little more <laughs> humble. <laughs> but the way that I do that is uh, I'll suss out, like, I take uh, kind of like a... Not like a paralysis by analysis, but like a like a very analytical approach to this. Not saying that Sam's is not analytical at all, but mine stays a lot more. My master stays a lot more close to the mix, yeah. and at least that this is of like what we have done so far, right? And it's like we're just like slowly learning like a little bit more about how each one of us like does things. I love it. And, yeah, it's been like that. Will be a cool episode when we do it. Yeah, I don't know if we'll share tracks. I don't know um, if we will either because I don't. It's like some of it's released content and stuff, and you, yeah. it gets like kind of weird. And I don't want to have to like ask. And, yeah, I don't think I don't think we'll be able to share the tracks, but the wisdom and what we're going to talk about of how we approached it, you know, I think will be very interesting. Make an interesting episode. In case anyone wants a spoiler, though, Sam's stuff sounds freaking awesome. So, <laughs> well, thank you, man. That's uh, <laughs> so does your stuff. I liked yours too. I, to be fair to Matt, there were if he reads through his text, there were multiple things I said I really liked about his master, and I said, "How did He's you?" Just being nice. I said, "How did you do that?" I did say that. <laughs> How did you do that? How did you manage to do that? <laughs> it all depends on the tone to which you cannot. It's just very, very difficult to discern via text message. How'd you do that? Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, so anyway, that'll be an episode <laughs> down the road but here. Closing everything up. Yes. Is this podcast bad advice? I think that it is one hundred percent bad advice if you are trying to apply it to every other facet of life. Oh, that's good. There's some information that you can get from this podcast that is universally, call it justifiable, or universally universal, <laughs> um, in the situations that we're using it in. Some of the psychology will be the same across uh, some of the planes, but I mean, for those of you listening in different countries and stuff like that, uh, you might want to take your own cultural differences into consideration before applying any of our advice. This is strictly for kind of where we are, but I mean, I think people in general, so long as you treat them with respect and you, um, I don't know, are not a tool and you try to <laughs> apply like stuff like in our How to Get Clients episode, I feel like in general by saying, 
well, first, what am I good at? And what am I affirmed in? I think that is universal. Mm-hmm. And, like, finding, like, like, and then defining who your client ideally is. I think that is universal. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting down into, like, how to approach things and whatnot, some stuff that we say may not fly in other areas of the world or maybe even other areas of North America, the United States, and or even the, if you're in there, the state that you're in. So is it bad advice? It could possibly be. So uh, I'm an idiot, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. Sam's pretty great at what he does. Um, so there will, there, there, will be a, uh, there will be some CDs for sale with just Sam talking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so future merch store. Future um, merch. So, oh, yeah. Shoot. Is the podcast bad advice? In some places, perhaps yes. In general, though, we approach it from, at least we try to, uh, pretty humbly or with humility. Hopefully. and <laughs> Yeah, hopefully. And at least just kind of try to tell you what we know and just know that there may be other ways of doing things. So I highly recommend you gather all the information. And if you're in the music industry, I 100% recommend you listening to other people's stuff and before you take their advice. And if you like my stuff, listen to me. If you don't, then screw me. That sounds weird. <laughs> forget it. If you like Sam's stuff, listen to him. If you don't, forget about him. So, I mean, just kind of who we are. Right. So, it's yeah. great, this, man. This has kind of gone off the rails. This, this, this sucker should have been wrapped. <laughs> you brought it home. It's very good. Yeah, I brought it home. Looks like we're going to need to shave about 21 minutes off <laughs> this guy. <laughs> We'll, oh, well. we'll find it. All right. Sam. I'm good. Any words for the people in the land of podcasts? You know, I did want to say one thing that um, we are so grateful for everybody that listens. And if you are listening to this, if you could leave us a review or a rating awesome. on iTunes or if you're on Spotify, subscribe to it, follow it, save it. Um that helps us out so much with existing in the podcast universe. Yes. And um, I don't ever plan on trying to make money off this from our listeners. Um, and the you know, all we ask is in order for this to keep going, which everyone has done a wonderful job thus far, just for new people, if you could leave us a rating or subscribe, if you find this to be enjoyable, I would love that. So that's one little thing. I would thing. love that as well. Yeah. We don't like ever talk about that <laughs> ever. And I was thinking the other day, um, I just want to mention that. I'm not going to mention Action it probably steps. again for a while, but just remind everybody if you like us, give us a like, you know, star us, whatever you do. <laughs> And uh, and that's it. That's all. You do you. You do you. However you want to respond to this. If you hate it, you know, leave a terrible review. That's fine. It's good. If you want to tithe, you know, send you my address. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. 10% will do. Whatever you'd like. We'll accept it. <laughs> so that's all. No, man, that's great. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, on the episode, on the first episode just aired today. This is January 2nd when we're recording this. Um, when we recorded that episode, which was the beginning of December, 
Um, I said that we had 27,000 downloads and I was incredibly grateful. And now I am absolutely humbled because somehow in that very short period of time, we're now up to uh, about uh, 32,000 downloads. Can I say 2,700, 27,000 downloads? I don't know. We were at 27,000. Now we're at 32. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we are. And it's like stupid awesome. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I would never make someone pay for a podcast. No, I don't plan on it. That's slimy. Seems a little slimy, but who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. uh, Yeah, we're done here. We're done. (laughs) I assume the music has been running for a a hot minute or two. Yeah, I've looped the song twice probably. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Can't wait to hear what you pick. (sighs) Okay. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. Sam, turn up the already cued music, and we'll catch y'all in the next episode. Pumping up the jams. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dang it. See y'all.